0: Welcome to episode 60 of Red Board Rewind. My name is Spencer Luganbuehl. And today, my special guest is Scott Shapiro of the Churchill Downs Simulcast Feed. We're going over some Saturday Keeneland action. And some angles that we talk about are why there need to be more N3X and N4X allowance conditions. And finding solid value with Kentucky Downs shippers still at Keeneland. This is Red Board Rewind. It's the same old story. And now I'd like to welcome in my special guest for this week, Scott Shapiro. Scott, how are you today?
1: Hey, Spencer. Good to be back on with you. It's been a little while. Hopefully uh, things are going uh, all right for you on the East Coast throughout this uh, tumultuous 2020.
0: It's, it's been raining a lot. I've been playing a couple tracks, Finger Lakes. It was raining today. I was trying to play Indiana Grand yesterday at rain. I'm just,
1: I'm sick and tired of the rain right now. I'm trying to find a track that's nice and dry. <laughs> Man, I, I covered Indiana Grand for Brisnet for a couple of years. I think it rains more in Nash. Uh, I think it's Shelbyville, Indiana, than it does in <laughs> Seattle. Despite the rumors, it, it, I feel like it rains in Indiana. Grant half the days during the uh, meet, very frustrating.
0: I I, I I swear every day I wake up and Nancy Holtus is just like, oh, sloppy and off. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> yeah, yep. People are like, people are like, oh, we're handicapping Indiana today. Well, no, wait till the scratches because it's gonna rain and they're gonna lose half the fields.
1: It's crazy. I never, I, I. I ask asked questions I haven't really gotten answers on. I mean, it's only a few hours away from me, and it certainly rains plenty here in Louisville, but not like there. I, I will say it,
0: though. I had uh, Rachel McLaughlin on. That might be one of the most underrated B-tier tracks with the full fields they get. And just they get some of the top trainers and very, very good underrated riders as well.
1: Yeah, you get uh, the Indiana breads, which don't get to run a good portion of the year, so they run a lot during the Indiana Grand Meet, and then you get – the Open Company races, especially the turf, you get a lot of the uh, horses from Kentucky going there. You get Brad Cox horses there, Steve Asmussen, Tom Amos. So you get some high-quality horses. And it's not always like they send their B horses up there. It's just kind of the way it works out with the condition books. So I agree. It's a, it's a pretty high-quality product, some challenging uh, races to handicap, and uh, they do a good job there.
0: Last time I had you on for Churchill Downs, this week we're switching it up and we're going with Keeneland. Kind of tell me— Obviously, you cover Churchill Downs for Twin Spires and for obviously the simulcasting. What do you uh, what, what do you kind of do differently when you're covering Keeneland, even though it's still part of like quote unquote the Kentucky Circuit?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's nothing specifically or, you know, generally, I guess, not not specifically, nothing general that I would say I apply to one track and not the other. Uh, it does seem like there's more outside bias, kind of off the pace bias days at Keeneland. This is anecdotal, not looking back really at any historical numbers, but. Does seem like there's more days where kind of off the pace outside horses are successful. Churchill, you can get a uh, very strong rail at times, as we all know. Uh, speed can be deadly, obviously, at almost anywhere, but uh, I feel like it's a little de- more deadly at Churchill these days than it is at Keeneland. There's some cer- certain barns that may have a little more success at one place than, than the other, but overall, I think you can pretty much handicap them uh, the same way, same circuit, uh, you know, but some places. Uh, Definitely point to some some barns definitely point to Keeneland more than they do Churchill and vice versa.
0: Is there any specific barns that you kind of feel like you've got a good, you know, hunch on where it's like, okay, they're starting to slowly warm up at the end, you know, of a Churchill meet and then it's like, oh, now it's Keeneland and now they're going to start firing their big
1: bullets. Hmm, good question. I mean, I think of when I'm thinking of the big barns. It seems like Steve Asmussen. He, he wins plenty of races at Keeneland, but certainly seems to be a little more uh, loaded when it comes to the Churchill Downs meetings overall, especially as two-year-olds. Although, like I said, when you have the talent that he does and do the job he does, he wins races at Keeneland. He's won uh, plenty of races at this meet. Brad Cox, another big barn. I think he wins races at all places. All just dependent on when when his horses are cycling in. Trying to think of a good example of trainers. Ben Colebrook used to be one guy that I. I would, that one races more at Keelan than Churchill. I don't really think that's true anymore. I don't really have anyone specific. I wish I could say, bam, you know, here's a specific mm-hmm. barn, but there are barns that don't run much at Churchill that seem to run at Keeneland. You know, you, Arnaud Delacour, Graham Motion seems to have more runners run at Keeneland than Churchill these days, except back in the uh, this spring when there weren't a lot of options. But no one really specific. Obviously, Mike Maker's done great work at both tracks of late. Him, he's battling Coxon right now for the leading trainer as we head into the final week. For You, as a gambler
0: and as as a wager, I know the last time I had you on, we kind of talked your angles and stuff. Let's kind of flip it over to the bankroll side. Uh, How many races are you usually looking... Is it more you're looking to bet certain races or certain sequences? Are you more of the vertical or horizontal player?
1: Well... I'd say more so I'm definitely more of a horizontal player. So, you know, I'm looking at sequences first and foremost and um, when I'm handicapping a card. Maybe to my detriment, definitely leads to bigger swings in the bankroll uh, than if I kind of, you know, focus more on a couple horses to bet to win and maybe key in, in vertical wagers on a given card. Um But, you know, I'm still looking for horses that I have as playbacks or play against first and foremost when I am handicapping a card. And then normally I am leaning on them or against them in in horizontal wager. So... Oftentimes, the late pick five can be the wager that I'm most excited for and use the, the largest portion of my bankroll. But there are some days I've noticed in, in Kentucky Racing this fall specifically where I, I've actually attacked the early sequence a little more than the late. Sometimes the late sequences are just too hard, require too big of a bankroll to feel confident about covering all your bases.
0: I think it's a great thing when you bring up you know too much bankroll, not enough. I feel like people who are just beginning to handicap, what they do is they find you know, I like three horses in this race, four in the next, and then they'll be like, okay, $50 to spend, and they're at $82 for the sequence, and then they try and slowly chip away to get down to that $50 mark, and by then they've chipped off, you know, three or four horses, and when two of those four win, <laughs> it, you know, t- to, to me when it comes to sequences like that, I just, your handicapping will tell you what your wager is, not that you need to chip away to get down. If it's too much, play the pick three play a double you can play it for even more money that's what's so amazing about this game is you don't have to play a $70 pick five you can play uh you know a $70 double and it's two legs and you're gonna make more, and you could make possibly more money
1: 100 percent. you should always handicap the card first before deciding which wagers are going to play and I've been guilty of this in the past and still can be on certain cards you know hey I'm playing the late pick five it's derby day or you know breeders cup day and you know I I understand that mentality but if you're trying to win at this game you want to Formulate your handicapping opinions first, and that doesn't necessarily mean I need to like a horse in every race, but do I like the favorite? Am I against the favorites? Can I see this race being, you know, a bust open race? Is this sequence worth playing because maybe it's going to chalk out or maybe it's just too hard? So I agree with you 100% there. It's good to know your budget obviously but then formulate your opinions then go back in my opinion look at the uh, wagering options there's a ton of them on the menu every day at every track choose from them based on your opinions
0: we always hear about different ways to handicap some guys start first horse of the first race other guys uh mike somich is famous for starting with the last race of the card uh i think i was watching a pod it, may, it was for you with emily gullickson i believe and she says she starts with the favorites in every race first because obviously we're trying to beat the favorites and i i as soon as I saw that podcast, I started doing it. I've never looked back. I just think focusing on the favor is just such a key component of it. I don't care who's on the rail and who's on the outside part of the track. I want to know who the favorite is. Are they fast enough? Do they have a good pace set up? Are they going to be able to handle the class of the, of the race?
1: Right. I mean, some people are okay betting favorites to win and betting favorites as key horses and whatnot. And that's fine. But determining what the race looks like starting with the favorite, I think, is is a great way to get things going. It will tell you if you think the sequence can pay well. If you go through the first five races or any five race sequence and you think three favorites look tough, well... A, you probably don't want to spend as much money if you're playing a pick five, pick four, etc. And B, you may not, you know, if you're a value better and you like to try to bet eight, ten to one shots, you know those races might not be for you. Now, if you find that vulnerable favorite or that, you know, two or three vulnerable favorites, then that might be a race you want to, you know, put 80 percent of your bankroll on that day. And that's fine. And then if it's an early uh, if it's an early race in the day, it's okay to win and go and stop playing. I know it's difficult to do if you win, have all those races ahead of you, but if your plan is to attack race three on a card because that's the race you like most, you should spend the most part of your budget there and not be afraid to maybe back off a little the rest of the day and enjoy your winnings.
0: You always hear people talk about the get-out race where they hit that nice 10-to-1 shot to end the card, not about the 18-to-1 shot they hit early and then lost it all back to the track.
1: Yeah, I'm not a big, you know, the get out race, it makes some sense if you're someone that plays casually, you know, either you can only get away from work or the family, you know, every once in a while, or maybe even just once a week. But if you're playing every day or close to it, like we are, I don't understand the get out race, you know, you're going to be wagering on a race, maybe, you know, at a different track in an hour or two, or, you know, maybe, maybe you just play one circuit. Well, the race one is very soon. What are you trying to get out for? Do you need the money to pay bills? You know, that's the question to me. So never been a big fan of the get out race. Not to say I never get on tilt and bet more on the last race than I wish I, you know, than I wish I did. (laughs) But overall, I'm not a big fan of the theory of the get out race.
0: I think you bring up a great point there. And I always talk about this too, when I'm only strictly playing Naira or trying, you know, a different challenge, you know, build a bank roll, you know, 50 to a thousand X amount of days. I always try to, um, just focus on one race at a time. And if I'm at a no TV and everyone's like, Hey, look at Gulfstream. I'll make sure that I have, if it's a Wednesday card at Belmont, I'll make sure I have Thursdays and Fridays already downloaded onto <laughs> my, onto an iPod or iPad just to make sure that I, you know, can look at other races, whether they have the morning lines or not. It's just it's races that I'm still handicapping and learning with, but I can't lose money on it yet.
1: Yeah. That reminds me of the early days of my, uh, of my racing career at garden state park when we just used to go and we used to get the, uh, the spinner book and basically it had every track in it and it would just be like, what's up next. And we'd, I'd call it the spinner book cause you'd spin to the next race and you know, all <laughs> right, four minutes to Gulfstream. Yeah, that, that's not obviously not a winning recipe. Sure, if you're in it just for the entertainment value of, of betting on races and it's entertainment dollars to lose, you know, go for it. But if you're trying to win, uh, be a winning horse player, you've got to be more disciplined than that and stick to the tracks that you know and kind of spend the right amount of time on each race.
0: I feel that obviously uh, I just had Mike Samich on last week. He he used to be a pro- professional poker player. He we always talk about how the two plus two forms stuff, etc. Everyone talked everyone talked poker. No one really bashed anyone if they made a bad call or a bad fold, and they just everyone tried to learn. Whereas I feel like on Twitter, hey, look at this ticket that I made, and I made twelve dollars even though I spent eighty. And it you get ready for the de- demolishing of your Twitter because there will be so much hate and just stuff thrown at you for how bad your ticket construction was. Why do you think it is that just horse players in general are like we just can't build that strong community of just let's try and make everyone a better player, even though we're
1: playing against them? That's an interesting question. I don't know if I have a great answer. Just Twitter in general. When I think of poker, correct me if this is what you guys are thinking of. I'm thinking you know before Twitter, 15 years ago. I guess it was like 2003. You know mm-hmm. the the Chris MoneyMaker days yeah. back then. was before social media blew up right so i don't have a great frame of reference on if that's the same you know if, if the poker community on twitter and and you know what whatnot other social media sites is as aggressively uh as aggressive in attacking people as horse racing but horse racing People in general, I think uh, misery loves company when it comes to horse players. So if you got beat that day and you see someone, you know, maybe hit but did so in a, in a less than ideal fashion, your eyes are going to jump on it. But that's a really good question just overall, why there's so much hate like that on ticket construction. Because you would think if you're playing against others, A, if they're your friends, you'd want to help them. And B, if not, you'd be OK with them making bad bets because you're taking their money I've kind of always wondered that myself, Spencer, why that is. I think that, you know, I'm not calling, you know, a coat of arms, but I think that, like,
0: even for just the rest until Breeders' Cup, like, let's just show a little bit more faith in humanity and just let's try to be a little bit more helpful to those people. We were so excited when, you know, Will Rogers and those and Foner was still running and nothing else was happening, and we have all these sports players coming in, and we're just bashing people for just trying to learn a game that we all know is, you know, at the at its height, the variation of trying to learn the game. It's like learning chess. You have to learn so many moves and so many
1: angles and et cetera, and et cetera. It, it becomes just, you know, it's a lifetime. It's a lifetime of learning. Do you think that uh, it's people at that very beginner level that are getting bashed or more of the regulars that are posting their tickets a lot? Maybe, maybe they're not experts, we would say, but maybe more intermediate or higher level beginners. I would say it's
0: more intermediate or higher level because I think that people are afraid to bash the beginners. But, I mean, everyone was, As a, be- they should. Everyone was a beginner at one point. And that's the thing. If you know for a fact that you've made that terrible decision where you've played a $24 double, 4, by, four over 4, and it came back and paid $7 everyone's done it because all they want to do is cash a ticket. The hard thing is for us teaching people is learning. You don't have to play all 10 races. You can play four races. All you got to do is find the value. You think this horse should be two to one. And he's going off at of eight to one. That's when the odds and the poker interest comes in where you only have to hit this race X amount of times to be profitable. Even if you lose, you know, 16 of the 20, you're still going to be profitable.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, the whole key is being able to combine quality handicapping with quality wagering. And like you said, it's a lifelong learning experience to do so. And uh, you find yourself regressing back to old to poor habits a lot in this game, especially when you start losing. And it's very key to try to take a step back and remember all the things you learned and and how to use those two things in conjunction.
0: Let's jump into our three races. We were talking races from Keeneland on Saturday. We're going to kind of do the late pick three for you guys. Race number eight was an N3X allowance going one and one eighth miles on the turf. I love seeing the N3X and even some N4Xs popping back up. I hate when it's just two allowances and they jump into the graded stake or the listed stake. I love seeing the extra conditions. How about you, Scott?
1: Totally agree. And I oftentimes, you know, these races in many cases come up like grade threes or Mm -hmm. at least – non-graded stakes races you don't see enough of them now it's nice for some horses to be able to drop in class come out of the graded stakes races where there may be they're a little overmatched against the top tier horse or horses in the in the um in the division and then it's also nice to see horses have that ability like you said to just kind of go gradually up the class ladder the allowance ladder from non-winners of 1x non-winners of 2x non-winners of 3x you just don't see it anymore i love handicapping these races both on turf and on the dirt
0: for me also when you just look at the two-year-old racing like they win a maiden and they have a 42 buyer and guess what they're in the grade one delmar debutante next time out i'm just like (laughs) come on like just put the horse in something and i just i kind of wish that they would just uh, listen i'm one who probably reads the condition book more than a lot of people because i am a class handicapper first and foremost but just seeing n3x's n4x's I'm much more of a fan of the maiden special weight and allowance races than I am really the graded stakes. And I think that a lot of times when we hear on podcast, we're going over graded stakes. They don't really talk to maiden levels where, okay, good. You hit four out of four on the graded stakes, but that maiden 20 at the end of Cigar Mile Day has that 42 to one shot that all it took was a nice pedigree note to win.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talk about the graded stakes races and some of them are competitive and some of them can bring up there's upsets, but they're generally speaking, not going to offer as full of fields, especially, uh, these, as these, uh, as these allowance races, I know they don't, they, they don't write a ton of them, uh, Maybe that's part of the reason, but I just feel like they're more competitive overall. Like I said, that's a macro macro uh, analysis, obviously not a micro one, but I'm with you 100%. The two-year-old uh, program is a different story. I mean, there's just not races written for horses that win that those those maiden races to go to other than stakes races, but in general, I'm all for these races. Really look forward to them when I see them on a program.
0: The, uh, the buyer par for this race is a 93, so it's kind of those high-level graded stakes, like you said. Kind of tell me what you liked in this race.
1: Well, this race was interesting because I had a single in this race. I wasn't going to wager on, uh, on the uh, win end because I wasn't excited about the price, but I thought number two, Don't Blame Rocket, who was a class dropper coming out of the Turf Classic for Norm Cassie, and AJ-suited racing stable, was going to uh, really appreciate the inside draw and, and the drop in class. I thought – he got a little bit of an overly passive ride from Julian Le Peru last time, and Tyler Gaffney almost taking over. But uh, don't blame Rocket; was a little bit dead on the board as the two to one favorite, and then he got scratched right before uh, right before post time, so kind of threw me for a loop. I didn't wager on the race itself, but I had him singled in horizontals, so I ended up backing into the favorite. One of our favorite parts of this game.
0: For me, I was also very excited to, to bet Don't Blame Rocket. And it's always interesting when that kind of happens, you know, because as, as we all know in racing, if you were to cancel your tickets, the the favorite obviously win. If you play, the favorite loses. It's kind of just one of those, you know, uh, optics of the game. It's just there were some other interesting horses I thought in here. I thought a horse, uh, Midnight Tea Time, who ended up actually going off the favorite, three for 26 lifetime, 15 uh, seconds and thirds combined, that's, just not, that's the type of horse that I want to play against and a horse that I'm very excited to see. Very consistent, 690, 690 buyers, back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, but just not one that I think wants to get the, the photo taken, and that's what matters. I thought Corelli, 0-3 in North America since coming over, had that nice 99 in the United Nations, 2-back, and then, I guess, soft ground for the Sword Dancer so you can give him a pass, but when they don't win in North America first few times out i get very very sketchy with those type of horses temple i thought was a good allowance listed stake type horse just didn't know if he would have exactly what it would take to to win here and so with don't blame rocket scratching i just ended up passing the race
1: the same for me. They're one of the big reasons I was so uh, bullish on Don't Play and Rocket's chances was because I just thought the rest of the field was a big mishmash. I mean, Midnight Tea Time, you spoke greatly on. This is a horse that struggles to win races. The one time he's you, on the page here looking at my Brisbane PPs where I see him winning was a nose victory uh, at Kentucky Downs at one mile. Not a horse I like to back. And, you know, as a horizontal player, it sounds like you were speaking the same. These are kinds of horses you like to beat. Unfortunately, I was live in the pick four and backed into that night time so this was a pass race for me and one of those unfortunate situations where you're live in the middle leg of a horizontal and you get stuck with a favorite you don't want
0: if you could do something to change the rule what would the rule be that you would change in order to not scratch would you have an alternate ticket what would it be
1: yeah that that's the key here i know it's uh we're, we're a little behind in technology with the tote system but where you can being able to input a uh, alternative is a must in this day and age, where so many people are playing big horizontal tickets. Uh, in, uh, in California, when I was out there, you could submit the the tickets um, via tow, uh on a uh, like a a. Uh, A scratch off type card almost and that kind of allowed you to do that and and it actually saved me once um that's the only answer it's very difficult to come up with you know a solution because i guess you could make consolations but nobody really wants that either that that's the the alternative all it takes is a little upgrade in technology i know that's expensive spencer at this point at this point but that's what we need
0: for me it was a pass as well for scott let's see who wins the eighth year right now
2: Busy channel broke alertly between horses, but here comes Temple toward the outside, also Segoi out in the center of the course, and Appreciato as they head for the first turn, then Ritzy AP back toward the rail. It is Busy Channel who has the early lead, though. Leads it by three-quarters of a length. Sugoi so goes second. Ritzi AP is third, a half length, heading into the first turn. Appreciato fourth on the outside of that one. A gap of two lengths back to Troubling Moon, who hugs the rail in fifth. Temple is alongside in sixth. A gap of two more. Corelli, one lane off the rail in seventh by ahead. Midnight tea time moves up one position from eighth against the rail. Break of five more back to Net Gain, who travels in ninth. And then counter offer is tenth. And Hierarchy is last of the 11. Opening quarter went in 22.71 seconds. Segoi is the leader. Segoi has made the top by a length. Ritzy AP goes second up on the outside, second by just a half length. Then Busy Channel shuffled back a couple of positions now into third a half length. Appreciato fourth up on the outside. And then Troubling Moon, fifth between horses, five from the front. Temple is sixth outside of that one. Midnight tea time is next. And then Corelli, who's toward the outside, still eight lengths from the lead. The opening half mile went in forty-seven point seven seconds. Sugoi, the leader. Ritzy AP, one length away and second toward the outside. Busy channel third back toward the rail as the field turns for home. Temple is trying to move to the outside of Appreciato. That pair is still five from the front, though, as they straighten away. Segoy has the lead. Ritzy AP Appreciato. And then comes Temple. Busy Channel looks for running room toward the inside. Segoy, the leader. Busy Channel diving toward the rail. Temple coming from the outside. Segoy still has the lead. Temple in second. Down to the line. It's Segoy in front. And Segoy wins it for Joe Rocco Jr. at 23-1 upset.
0: And one we didn't talk about, the number 12 Segoy wins, paying 48-60 with a 90-buyer. Thoughts on the winner, Scott?
1: Yeah, Segoy's an up-and-comer. I mean, it's hard to knock a horse that's now 5-9 for nine for trainer Michael Tomlinson, and he got a favorable race flow. It was a busy channel, went to the lead, and backed off Segoi, who's— Always been prominently placed from the outside. Draw a good job by Joe Rocco to take control. Uh, the race ended up uh, finishing uh, top four finishers. First, third, and fourth were all prominently placed horses. And uh, hard to knock Segoy, but did move up, uh, up quite a bit. I'm looking at Briznet speed figures, but did move up quite a bit on the uh, buyers, right? Yeah,
0: that was my fault. He, he ran a 90 last time out. It was a 92 for the win. So not a okay. ton, just a little couple points. I just... I love when you look at this type of horse because obviously broke the maiden at Turfway Park, then goes to Will Rogers during the, you know, obvious corona problem. Then they put him back in a 50K claimer. William Warrior, who's a very good trainer, gets claimed by Michael Tomlinson. And they kind of just, they wanted to obviously race on the turf with this horse. You could tell the horse was going to improve. And the first race out, no good off the turf. They bring him right back at 10 to 1. He wins, you know, open length. They try the American Turf. The key to, I think, this horse is seeing, and obviously with Brisbane you don't have it, but the time form had the first three fractions, red blazing hot, and he was right up on top of it, 19-1. to To me, that's just a complete pass race. They drop him back down into the optional two. Nice win there. And at this point, they just take the next little step up. And, I mean, this horse at 23-1, to when you look at the other few horses I talked about that were getting bet in this race, I think this is a very, not a big mistake, but just a horse that, you can actually see on the paper that has a much better chance than 23 to one to win.
1: I absolutely agree with all of your assessments there. You, this is, this horse has done very little wrong. You look at his past performances. You've talked to back in the American turf. That was a very hot pace. I mean, they really went at it that day. Fancy LaCour, Taishan uh, were well out of it that day. Uh, Field pass, had a real good trip, but it was a hot pace. All of the speed stopped against grade two competition, an easy toss. The six by 27th, if you look four back on July 2nd at Ellis Park, that was a race washed off the turf, so it was over the dirt and pretty meaningless for a turf horse. Just has never run a bad race on the turf, so I agree at the price. was definitely overlooked probably uh, way too much.
0: Now, why do you think a horse like this does get forgotten, but horses like Temple and Midnight Tea Time and Corelli take all this money when they just, you can see that there's definite problems with these horses, whereas Segoy, okay, yeah, sure there's problems, he hasn't faced this type of level, he's jumping up in class, but the horse just ran a 90 buyer and everything else around him is kind of in that low to mid 90s.
1: Well, I think one thing that we kind of touched on a little bit before we talked about the race is that there's not a lot of these N3X type races Mm -hmm. and horses that are dropping at a stakes company, which may or may not be significantly tougher fields. Sure, the favorites are usually going to be You know heads and heads above in terms of class but the body of the field might be pretty similar to this but to the public it's going to look like they're coming out of much better races whereas Segoy has run slower figures and appears to be coming out of lesser races the one try if you don't look deep at it against stakes company was a sixth beaten 18. Look I mean I didn't like the horse when I first looked at it I didn't think he would it would be a race where he would get away with quite as easy a fraction but clearly I missed out on this one paying what $52.
0: Yeah. It was a very or forty eight dollars, a very nice 48. very nice price here. Obviously the graded stakes thing, we'll talk about that in our next race. Uh before we go to that, is there any horse in here that you are interested in betting back maybe a jumping class back into the graded stakes or a horse that like maybe just needs to take that sixty two optional two back then and start going in for the claim at this point?
1: I don't think there's any specific horse. I, I do think there's, I think what you want to do is I think you want to upgrade potentially any horses that were towards the rear of the, of the pack in this one because only Temple closed at all in this race and Temple sat mid-pack, wasn't way out of it. All of the closers just, they were against the flow of the race. So horses like Counter Offer maybe and, and Corelli and Hierarchy, these are horses that, yeah, you know, if there's not a lot of pace in the next race they're in, presumably at Churchill Downs uh, in November, you know, you don't want to overrate you know, the, their, their chances. But if they're in a race with a little bit more of a fair pace and you know maybe the turf course isn't playing towards speed, which is always very possible, these are horses you want to upgrade and give better chances than maybe the public will.
0: I think the horse for me would be Temple to look forward to. Just seems ultra consistent. Nine of the last 10 races have been a 90 plus buyer. And just midnight Tea time and Corelli. Please keep getting back down and making it very, very <laughs> profitable for me in these races. Let's jump into what was ended up being my favorite race of the day for a horse coming back. It was race number nine at Keeneland. The grade two Lexus Raven run. Seven furlongs on the dirt. My favorite distance as well. It's the return of the second off the lap return for finite.
1: Finite, a horse that uh, did a lot of good running as a two year old and then um, was disappointing early on in the three year old campaign despite a couple of wins. Particularly, you look at the silver bullet day at three to five, was all out to win, then bounced back and won in the Rachel Alexandra, but really disappointed as the uh, one to five favorite in the Fairgrounds Oaks. Was on the bench for a while. I didn't give a, a, a big shot in this race because I was just wondering why Steve Aspenson Hall of Fame trainer decided to try the turf at Kentucky Downs, but clearly it set this uh, daughter of Munnings up very well for this race and uh, a horse that I overlooked, but uh, clearly is back in good form.
0: I think this is a really interesting race and something that you talked about in the last race, uh, weak grade, weak grade states and stakes and strong graded stakes. I just feel we talked about this with PTF last week as well. If you're not going back and doing the research, Formulator, there's a bunch of different ways to do it, and figuring out what horses have done coming out of the Grade Twos, are most of them just dropping and becoming allowance winners? Well, then it's not a Grade Two race. It's it's just it's a Grade Two fake. It's a fake Grade Two, and it's an allowance race. To me, a horse when you look at uh, Finite, she's won two Grade Twos, so she fits there. A horse like Four Graces is you know dual graded stake placed. Maybe not too strong, but th- that's a horse that I'm okay with at this level. Whereas a bunch of the horses you see are just jumping up in class.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. The assumption that graded stakes races are always high quality is, is not, not a good one. Sure, there's a lot of times there's one Horse worthy of that level if not more in those races but like you mentioned going back digging in the to, to depth and the quality of those fields can be key and remember a lot of these horses that are in those races are running for third and fourth third a lot just to get the black type they don't really belong in there a lot of those fields are five six horse fields nowadays because they're you know a lot of the competition is ducking that top horse that's likely to be a heavy favorite totally agree with your assessment spencer well,
0: let's kind of talk about venetian harbor the ultra consistent horse from Richard Baltus's barn kind of has been racing everywhere at Delmar, Mar, Santana, Oaklawn, Keelan, Saratoga. The horse definitely doesn't need one track.
1: No, Venetian Harbor has definitely taken her game uh, to multiple venues in multiple states and proven she's a legitimate uh, horse. I know they thought uh, back before um, COVID that maybe she was a horse that could be a Kentucky Oaks winner. She got hammered down to four to five in the grade three fantasy, which is a race, an example of what we're talking about. Better than a grade three race. There were no other options for three-year-old fillies at that point because of COVID. That race came up strong. 14 horses ended up losing to Swiss Skydiver that day. Gave her some time off. She ran uh, well on the Ashland, but got to cut back to one turn, which I think is her best game in the test. And uh, we saw this on social media talk that uh, Joel Rosario gave this daughter of Munnings uh, a little bit of a uh, too passive of a ride. I was pretty confident that Manny Franco was going to send from the gate and just see who else went with her.
0: I think it's interesting also, you know, everyone always talks about, oh, look at the running lines. Look at who this horse's competition was. So the last three were all seconds. Lost to Gamine, Speech, and Swiss Skydiver. And the third horse in that fantasy was uh, She Shares the Devil, who I believe is a pretty dang good horse in her own right, winning the Oaks. Uh, I just feel that this horse in general, off the layoff, I was going to try and take a shot, and I really liked that finite. You didn't like the Kentucky Downs race. I didn't mind it because, to me, why would he go there? Well, there's not really a good answer for it. I thought it was mostly just a prep, and I know that people like to go to Kentucky Downs because they say it makes the horse fitter. So I thought maybe that this horse was just sent down there to just run around the track and not worry about it because, obviously, going off at 9-1 to – Nobody else really thought the horse was going to do well that day either.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. And looking back, you can see that uh, he made the same move to break the maiden last year in September and then came back in the rags to riches. Um, the big uh, one of the big uh, or the two year old race uh, at Churchill Downs and one going away. So it was uh, it got by me in this spot, but uh, definitely was a race where you could overlook the 11th last place effort. Where did you end up going wagering wise in this race? Well, I thought Four Graces at Venetian Harbor were legit favorites in here, but I also thought there was a chance that they were going to go at it. Uh, they both drew to the inside. Four Graces drew to the outside last time in the eight bells, and uh, was I expected in that race Julian Le Peru to relax off of uh, Monday Call, the favorite for Brad Cox, or the second choice, and didn't. So I was almost certain Four Graces was a horse that they thought needed to be on the front end and was going to get sent I thought number six, Reagan's Edge for Cherie DeVoe and number 10, Secret Keeper, were the value in this race. Secret Keeper did end up getting betted down and uh, so took away the value there. Reagan's Edge, a horse that I thought was going to be able to take advantage maybe with a mid-pack trip. So I played Reagan's Edge and Secret Keeper with both Ford races and Venetian Harbor and the Exotics.
0: The scary thing for me with Secret Keeper, I just didn't know if this horse was going to be fast enough. Obviously, on the improve, and this is why you should be getting the good price on the type of horse. I thought four to one for me was an underlay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Regan's Edge, love Floran, He's very aggressive. Sherry Devoe, I just obviously uh, for the people who use DRF, uh, second mm-hmm. off of forty-five to one hundred eight day left, oh for twenty-three in the last two years, and oh for twenty-two in graded stakes. We obviously know being under the tutelage of chad brown lady eli she can definitely get one across the wire i just thought that in this exact spot does have the uh the allowance win and then the obvious grade two grade three form i just thought that this was maybe a couple horses too tough in this race but i think if she can you know get rid of a finite or venetian harbor she's got a very good shot in uh coming up as well in different stakes
1: yeah, you make good points there on the trainer stats specifically. Second off the layoff, 0 for 21, 2020 graded stakes, 0 for 22. Maybe a little bit too much for Sharita uh, Bite off at this point, but I have faith in her. I think she's a very capable conditioner.
0: Let's see
2: who wins the Raven Run right now in the Lexus Raven Run. Awkward start for Secret Keeper, who went to her knees coming out of the gate, recovers, but is placed toward the far outside near the back. Here's Venetian Harbor. Venetian Harbor up to take the early lead as the field hits the main track and moves up the back stretch. Reagan's Edge goes second between horses. Grand Cru Classé. Third up on the outside. Secret Keeper is now back up to fourth on the outside of Four Graces who moves up one position from fifth. Secondary market is sixth. Finite seventh in between horses. And tonalist shape is last as the field heads for the far turn. Seven lengths off the lead. Venetian Harbor got the opening quarter in 23.06 seconds. Venetian Harbor leading Reagan's Edge by a length of the far turn. Grand Cru Classé starts to move up a closer third on the far outside. Four Graces. Fourth down toward the inside, then Finite, secret keeper up on the outside, secondary market next to last, and tonalist-shaped trails. They come for the top of the stretch. Venetian Harbor leading the way in the Lexus Raven run. And Reagan's Edge is still there, just off her flank, in second a length and a half. Then Grand Cru Classe, followed by Finite, who looks toward the inside in fourth. Secondary market is in fifth. It is Venetian Harbor with the lead by three past the eighth pole. And here comes Finite up the inside. Grand Cru Classe from the outside. Venetian Harbor with the lead. Finite up the rail. Venetian Harbor. Finite is still trying. Down to the line. Venetian Harbor wins the Lexus Raven run by a neck for Manny Franco in 1 minute 23.03 seconds. And Venetian
0: Harbor does it again, paying five twenty with a 97 buyer. When you have a solid favorite like this, Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. This one just wins by a neck. I was heartbroken having finite on top.
1: Understandable. I mean, Venetian Harbor got off a lot slower than I expected. The opening quarter in 23, the half in 46. Thought they'd go at it a little uh, a little quicker early on. The fact that Four Graces and Julian Le Peru didn't break all that great from the inside draw, but took a hold, sat in the pocket instead of sending. Really had a big uh, a big big. It was a big part of this race, uh, ending up the way it did. Secret keeper, obviously, getting out of the gate, almost going to the knees. Kind of set up beautifully for Phoenician Harbor, who got off slow, although you could argue that the track played a little bit towards off the speed, off the uh, pace types uh, on Saturday at Keeneland. So maybe she ran better than it appears based on just looking at the raw numbers. But she definitely had things her way, and a very tough beat for you with Finite, who ran great, Spencer.
0: Uh, I had recently talked about Fort Grace's race before the Eight Bells in the uh, in the Beaumont, Wisconsin, uh running second in Sconson, obviously overcoming this horse. Why the pocket trip? I mean, to me, this horse just seems that she, not that she's a need the lead, but she needs to be a lot closer than two and a half off.
1: I don't know. I don't, Julian A. Peru has been pretty cold thus far at Keeneland. I think he has just one win. I did not like the decision at all. The only thing I could think of outside of, you know, bashing the ride by the lack of aggressiveness is perhaps they wanted it to be a learning experience. It seems odd that that would be the case with a grade two event, but maybe seeing how she handled getting dirt kicked in her face from an inside draw, but was very surprising to me has shown the ability to take heat from the inside and go on with it as well as, you know, run well, just sitting, uh, sitting on the lead by herself I guess they thought Venetian Harbor was going to go. Maybe it was the way it broke, but I was very disappointed with the way uh, four races would handle.
0: A secret Keeper also not running that well, just a little bit too much too soon now, after now that the race is done?
1: It could be, but when you go to your knees out of the gate, I'm willing to put a line through the race. Uh, maybe the competition in California is not anywhere near this. I'd be willing to give Secret Keeper another shot, but as you mentioned, in the intro to the race, four to one was way too short, twelve to one morning line was probably too high. I would have needed eight to one or more to, to consider a win bet on a horse like this.
0: When you see a horse like Finite now come back and kind of show that, you know, high mid level ninety buyer, is this a horse that you're gonna be looking forward to? I mean, a lot of sometimes horses do come out of the Raven Run and go right back to the Breeders' Cup. Is this a horse that you think could be dangerous come Breeders Cup time?
1: I think this field is going to be significantly lesser than what we will see in the Breeders' Cup, Philly and Mare Sprint against Olders and other horses shipping in. I don't have a whole lot of interest, but she did run very well. Steve Asmussen, as good as it gets in this game, if he enters her in the Breeders' Cup and Philly and Mare Sprint, maybe a horse to consider underneath. But overall, this is not a race that I would consider a key race for the Breeders' Cup.
0: Couldn't agree with you more. Let's jump into the last race. It's that fun get out race that made in that claiming level. This one was a 20,000 non non-wears, is a two lifetime one and one 16 miles on the dirt. I couldn't find anything past quarterback Dak. I was in the contest against uh, Dan Torgman for the daily Gallup. Uh, me and him were in the division together. It was everyone in our division. It was two and two as a matter of fact going into the final week. So I was trying to make sure that I was kind of safe in the contest picking a, a, a chalkier horse.
1: Quarterback Dak, an interesting favorite, uh, had faced better, had run well in in certain spots, but six starts had never run over a fast main track. So this was the first time for that one. The Texas bred for Wesley Ward, pretty uh, kind of a, a hunch play, if you will, after Dak Prescott going down a couple days before with the uh, unfortunate ankle injury. But uh, understandable why you would have liked that one.
0: Another horse that I think a lot of people did like was El Supremo uh, for Brett Calhoun, a horse dropping a little bit in class, had been racing in allowance races, had to be life or death at fairgrounds with a hot pace to win the maiden claiming race. Couldn't really get a good grip on this type of horse.
1: Yeah, dropping in class a little. My problem with this horse is I'm not in love with off the pace horses stretching out to a mile uh, to two turns. That one, last race was the one turn mile and also was disappointed that this one didn't kind of wake up a little more uh, on that drop in class had been taking on allowance company. Yeah, I guess you could argue those races at Lone Star are pretty significant, pretty equal. I'm sorry to the races at Churchill at the claiming N2L level, but the fact they dropped in and, and didn't win was kind of a red flag for me. wasn't against, but wasn't overly excited.
0: Tell me what kind of horses you like then in this race.
1: I thought number three, Money for Mischief, was a horse that was worth playing back in this spot because last time at Churchill Downs got a little bit of a premature move uh, into a relatively slow pace. It was against Lesser on paper, the claiming 10,000 N2L. This is a claiming 20 N2L, but there is no claiming 10 uh, N2Ls, I'm pretty sure, at Keeneland, so kind of a lateral move. And I thought this horse was the stone winner turning from home uh, in that September 24th race at Churchill Downs um, at almost nine to one, had him on my uh, horizontal tickets and just hung terribly in that race. Another one in that race. Drink looked like he might get the job done uh, in that event on the class on the slight class drop, but neither of them got to the wire first. And was just hopeful that Miguel Mana maybe would take would be a little more patient instead of moving as early as Martín García did, and could kind of time the ride right. And thought the price would be right on this one.
0: Were you at all worried about the trainer change in the interim, going from a twenty one percent to a training outfit that doesn't really have that many starters?
1: Well, no, because Angel Montano, uh, may he rest in peace, uh, I believe with the senior was the 22% trainer, and Juan Cano, I'm, I'm almost certain, is the assistant trainer. So it was really just the same, the same connection. So maybe on paper that would help his price, but this was really the same barn.
0: For me, it was quarterback Dak. Money for mischief for Scott. Let's see who wins the closing race here at Keeland right now.
2: They're off. Drink broke alertly toward the outside. There's YY, Paul Y toward the inside. Here's Ravinio starting to move forward in the opening strides as the field heads for the first turn. And Might is away quickly as well. Checkmite now starts to move by from the far outside starting spot, clears all of the inside traffic, and by the midpoint of the first turn, is locked onto the rail. Checkmite leads it by two lengths around the first turn. Ravinio is second down toward the inside as the field works its way around the turn. Drink now takes second away from him, moves up between horses. El Supremo, far outside, is racing in fourth. YY Paul Y is in fifth. Fast recovery, sixth. Gap of three more back of that one to Tiz McNamara, seventh. Three more back of that one to quarterback Dak, who is eighth. Money for Mischief is in ninth for the move up the backstretch. And Wind Twist is last. Opening quarter went in 23.67 seconds. It was 47.84 for the opening half mile. Checkmite is the leader. Drink is second. Less than a length separating the top two. ravenio third, down toward the end inside. El Supremo, fourth up on the outside, two lengths off the lead. Y.Y. Paul Y is fifth in between horses. Fast recovery has to go to the outside from six, still four from the front. Money for Mischief is looking back toward the inside as they move midway on the far turn. It is Drink and El Supremo. Check might has dropped back several positions as they round the turn and come to the top of the short stretch. Here comes fast recovery. Y.Y. Paul Y also moving up off the far turn to the top of the stretch. And also when twist as well as the field straightens away for home into the final furlong still wide open money for mischief going to capitalize on the scramble and move by with a sweeping maneuver for a short lead the question will why why paul why just go away y, y, paul, why why paul Y is fighting money for mischief hanging tough money for mischief by a half length
0: and money for mischief does win paying 80, 68 buyer for not liking the get out race scott nice hit here
1: <laughs> I wish I'd saved up a little more and focused a little more on this race. Did have a few dollars to wait on them, but was hoping to get there in the pick four. But yeah, the, uh, the, the, the watching of the replay um, was, was correct. In this case, money for mischief got the perfect setup in here. They went at it early. Checkmate uh, ran a pretty quick early because, uh, and was pressed, but checkmate had to work a little, to get to the front. It was pretty contentious up front. Ended up setting up for those from off the pace money for mischief, might be a hanger kind of looked like was home free and almost let YY Paul Wide come back but uh, it was an unfortunate uh, trip for your horse number two quarterback Dak
0: I think too it's a great point that you uh, brought up about not being on the surface at all and just I think in this specific three races we really found races where very strong favorite in the middle with Venetian Harbor and just two favorites that have a lot of question marks to be below two to one or you know below three to one in the opening race as well
1: yeah, but it's little, it's hard to knock the pick of quarterback, Dak. This horse, uh, the winner got the jump on this one. Dorado uh, Corrales, who's been riding pretty well for Wesley Ward, tried to go up the inside, got caught and stopped badly. Not sure if quarterback Dak was going to beat the top two finishers, but had a definite shot if he got through on the inside. But uh, that did not happen. So the problem uh, with, with playing a horse back like this quarterback deck is everybody sees a trip like that. The horse is already going to take money with Wesley Ward and the good running lines. So you got to be careful. The horse will probably be an underlay, even though he merits respect next time out.
0: Any horses from watching the replay that you are excited to bet, hopefully at coming to Churchill
1: excited would be a stretch. But again, (laughs) uh, looking at the flow of the race, I would be a little bit more uh, forgiving of horses that were on the front end or close to it horse. Checkmite I've kind of seen enough of at this point, kind of a runoff type. They tried to add blinkers to help that. I wouldn't be too excited about this horse, but maybe a horse like Drink and even El Supremo, who you mentioned. El Supremo made a middle move a little bit early, kind of the, the where he was sitting in the race was not ideal. And Drink tried to re- rela- uh, relax off of Checkmite. Uh, that did not work because they went too fast up front. So I would be a little forgiving of the efforts of Drink and El Supremo. My, my winner, Money for Mischief, probably not a playback. And YY Paul Y ran pretty well, but I wouldn't be overly excited.
0: Usually this would be the end of the podcast. I do have something that I didn't prep you for. I know you're still doing your your uh, NFL picks. Kind of talk about that. How's your season been going so far?
1: Man, it's been uh, – it was a good season through five weeks, and I've been really excited. i really pleased overall with the NFL product. I think the referees have you know not blown as many whistles, although if you watch the Monday night game between Dallas and Arizona, <laughs> you would disagree because that was a slop fest. But overall, I really like the product. The season's gone well until week six where I went 0 for 3 with my picks on bet america where i do my sports writing work a sister company uh four twins, spires and churchill downs um but overall it's been a good product spencer i've enjoyed it i think uh, the league is good a lot of good quarterbacks make it for fun hopefully we can continue to play forward avoid a lot of COVID 19 issues and uh you know may have a good run i think there's a lot of teams that are competitive nobody really sticking out as a clear favorite through six weeks
0: all right i got i got three questions for you first question can the giants somehow win their division
1: Anybody is capable of winning the (laughs) NFC East at this point. It's unbelievable that the Giants, that we can't even talk about it, uh, but the Cowboys are a dysfunctional unit. Now, even when they, you know, everybody's going to talk about Dalton and Dak. But let's not forget the Cowboys were losing games with Dak Prescott, too. They have really very little going on positive. Their offensive line used to be their strength. It's now a weakness for them. Their defense is terrible. The Eagles have no healthy players. And Washington's a terrible football team. I think six wins for the first time in NFL history is going to win a division. Who can get there? <laughs> Can the Jets go 0-16, and is it
0: fair game to say, just if you're in a fantasy league, just find who the Jets are playing and pick up that defense that week?
1: <laughs> uh, the Jets can go 0-16, although it's hard. There are a number of bad teams. It'll be interesting if they move Sam Darnold or if they stick with him. If they're starting Joe Flacco every game, they could lose them all, and it's no disrespect to Flacco. He's had a great career, but he is not set up for success. I would definitely bet on them winning a game or two, although it looks like they're trying to uh, lose games right now with Adam Gaze. And, yeah, picking up defenses that play the Jets is not never a bad idea because not only are they dysfunctional on offense, but when you're playing from behind, it leaves to more dropbacks. You can get, it's easier to get sacks and turnovers.
0: Last question, me being a Houston Texans fan after the tumultuous uh, preseason training DeAndre, where I was ready to uh, walk (laughs) down to Texas and beat up Bill O'Brien, and now he's being fired. Do we have a shot, or is it just kind of get ready for next year?
1: I think it's a get ready for next year. I, I mean, I think Deshaun Watson's a highlight reel type player, and I love what he brings to the table, but he still misses a lot of easy throws that he needs to make to take his game to the next level. Their defense is awful. They can't stop the run. And they're in a division with a team with Tennessee Titans. They have one of the best coaches in the league, and they're already 5-0. and But you got the extra playoff spot this year, so you never know. You could sneak in. It wouldn't be a Saturday wild card round if we didn't have the Texans playing. That's a little bit harsh
0: there. Thanks so much. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, Scott, for being on the
0: uh, pod. Where can people find you on social media?
1: Yeah, you can find me at Twitter on Twitter at scottshap34. And then with the Churchill Downs meeting coming up in November, you can find my picks on the website at churchildowns.com every day, along with Joe Christophe and Ed DeRosa.
0: Thank you so much, Scott. Appreciate having you on. Thanks, Spencer. Thanks to all the wonderful listeners to this show and my special guest, Scott Shapiro, there's going to be one more pod this week, and it's going to be Drew Cotney of In the Money Family going over racing from the later stages of Sunday's card at Woodbine. Looking forward to that. That should be dropping late Thursday night. This show's a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's present is Pierre Thomas Fornatel, Our Chief Creative Officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In the Money Media business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time.
2: My love